Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today from the Colby Told Me podcast, as well as the Minorities Report podcast, is the always awesome Colby Mack. Welcome back to the podcast, Colby. How you doing tonight? Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, and I'm back on the Movie Marathoners <laughs> podcast. Always great to have you here. Uh, how you doing today? Hey, man, I'm good. It's a beautiful evening. Uh, life is great. The holiday season is a brimming. The Christmas tree is a trimming. And I'm watching a bunch of stuff. Awesome. Well, we are talking today about the top five superhero films of the last decade. Woo! So this is another decade marathon looking back at the best films of, 2000, of uh, the 2010s. So in case this is your first episode in this format, I'll explain how it's going to go. Colby and I will be taking turns counting down our top five superhero films, starting at number five. In the likely case of overlapping entries, we'll discuss the film the first time it appears on either of our lists. And as always with all lists, any list ever, they are always personally subjective lists, and we have not seen every superhero film of the last decade. I can't think of any notable exceptions that I've missed. I don't know about you, Colby. I think I've caught every one. I really, okay. really do. Like, now they're too big. We're like, back in the day, you used to miss them. Even like some of like the indie ones. But like, now you kind of catch them all. Yeah. I think I may have missed like... um. Like Fast Color is one that I've been recommended. And Do we that's call very, that? Very indie. I mean, that's yeah, that is very, that's, that's very, very <laughs> indie. I did catch it, um, and I like it's you would you could easily miss it because it was in theaters for like less than two weeks. Yeah. Other than that, I think this one will actually be pretty encompassing. But regardless, personally subjective list, so bear that in mind. And for spoilers, we're gonna say that spoilers are fair game for any and all entries on this list. If there's a massive spoiler coming, we'll do our best to give you a fair warning, and I will also provide timestamps in the show notes for each film in the event that you want to skip that section to avoid spoilers. And lastly, we will be skipping the usual point two section to give us more time to discuss these films. So before we dive into the list, let's just think back to the start of the decade, right? 2010, Iron Man and The Dark Knight had come out two years ago. The Avengers was just like this future promise that we were building up to. And now, 10 years later, we live in this culture that's basically driven by superhero films. You know, Avengers Endgame became the highest grossing film ever, and it doesn't look like things are slowing down in the next decade. Um, how have you felt about the last decade of these superhero films? And then in general, are you a fan of superhero films or is it something that you just you know tolerate? I'm an uber fan. I think I'm one of the few critics where I love like my indie darlings as much as I love my popcorn blockbuster films. And I love the genre of superhero movies because I think now they've become elevated and evolved to a point where they can really do both. It's not just mm -hmm. big action, dumb, mindless fun. A lot of these films have creators that are really like trying to bring something different. I think like we had like the Silver Age of the comic book movies beginning with like Blade and, you know, the 2000 X-Men and Sam Raimi, Spider-Man and like that, that silver age. And then something happened, I think, right with like what you were talking about with Iron Man, um, with uh, Incredible Hulk, which actually I kind of like the Incredible Hulk quite a bit. Um, and then obviously, Same. you know, what uh, Nolan brought to the Dark Knight trilogy um, where it became something different. Auteurs wanted to bring these stories that we've seen for decades in a new lens with the technology can lend itself to 
take these characters and their mythos to some place that we never could have imagined. So we're in, in my opinion, the golden age of comic book movies where there's three to five that come out every year. And for some folks, that can be a drain. I don't see it as a drain at all. I see it as just like a a pool of opportunity for people to be able to pick apart and, and find new things uh, to celebrate the comic book genre. So I am totally in love with it. I am right there with you. Could not have said it any better myself. So I will not be late that point. <laughs> I am super excited for what is seeming like almost the kind of second evolution of the superhero genre coming up with things like Joker and even on TV with things like The Boys and the wide list of MCU films that are coming that just seem completely out of left field. I think we are really, like you said, just in an absolute uh, golden age of superhero films. So how'd you feel about making this list? Was it painful to leave off things? Because for me, man, I don't know. It, it was it was pretty brutal. Yeah, it is <laughs> to try to condense the past 10 years of comic book movies to five. It's tough because it, I, I wanted to use my list to be more than just like the best or like my highest rated films. Like I really wanted these films to be representative of the decade. So that way, if we were looking at a time capsule of the 2010s, like these would be the films that will chronicle like what made comic book movies. So I think my list, I hope can try to do both, but this was really, really challenging. Yeah. So I think I took more of the approach that I just kind of picked my top five favorite um, okay. with a couple, couple caveats um, that I'll get to. I kind of, I kind of picked them to kind of, you know, I didn't want like all MCU films, for example, <laughs> or something like that. But a lot of them are just kind of personal favorites of mine. So hey, it'll be really interesting that. to see how these lists compare. Yes. What do you define? Like, what are the defining characteristics for you for a good superhero film? Man, I mean, engaging story, um, a really dynamic cast of characters with movie stars and action. I am a sucker for great stunt and action and fight choreography. Give it to me. Um like I'm really, really impressed by great hand-to-hand combat, um, and then having that enhanced by you know visual effects, I just think is a great blending of the two mm-hmm. different styles of filmmaking, and I love it when you know those movies can really go for it, um, and I love movies that have something to say and then just don't have a problem with trying to be themselves. Um, these I don't want to say these movies aren't out to change the world because I think some of them really do. I think some of them speak, uh, you know, to like society today, but it just looks different because there's folks in tights and capes and, (laughs) you know, um, they get past that, but it's, man, it's weird. Like I, I really do. I look for something different and it's tough because I feel like Marvel is such like the pinnacle of the comic book movie genre because they've just done something that we've never seen done before, but I don't think that that's the pillar of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm with you there. I, I do think that unlike some of the other lists that I've been doing, these films definitely don't have to have a um, manifesto or full-on thing that they're trying to say, even though some of them definitely do and they're definitely dealing with real things. But there's a couple on these lists that I just like for pure just entertainment and that itself is a craft in and of itself. So uh, with that, Colby, why don't you give me your number five of the top five superhero films of the last decade. You know, I think that number five is actually my toughest one because 
it was like, well, what's going to go on the periphery? Like, what is, you know, what am I saying about that number five? And I bounce back and forth and back and forth. But I feel I feel good in settling on Black Panther. I have seen gods fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hold up. Let's go, go, go. We are home. My son, it is your time. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. Okay. Um, so it is Marvel's MCU Black Panther relatively uh, new film it came out in 2018 just last year for a few things in which like one i rated this film when i first saw it a nine out of ten i thought it was an absolutely amazing film like what i what you asked me like what do i look for in a comic book movie one does it have an engaging story i mean we are talking about a film that is set inside of a mysterious land that nobody knows of and it chronicles the journey of a young prince, and it's very Shakespearean that has to ascend to the throne, you know, um, when uh, an event happens to his father, and he has to assume the mantle of the Black Panther, and then balance being the king to his country, but also being responsible to what he is, like, tasked to be uh, to the world, and is left with, like, this really, you know, amazing, uh, like, interpersonal conflict. With all these things that are going on, like this very superhero-esque style film. It's a spy film um, in, in a way. Um, it, it's talking about, you know, really unique themes that actually does hold up as like a reflection to today's society. And it's got an amazing cast. I mean, you got, man, you got Chadwick Boseman and you've got Michael B. Jordan and Lupita Nyong'o. I mean, it's probably of all the superhero movies or comic book movies it's got one of the greatest casts that we've, that we've ever seen put together um, and it's yeah. got a really phenomenal director and Ryan Coogler who came right off of Creed and did this project and it's crazy to think that this project was actually going to be Ava DuVernay and Ava DuVernay handed it off to Ryan Coogler Wow, that would have been an interesting one. So interesting damn. and it's just beautiful. I, I, I honestly like all the the objective elements of that film right the cinematography is so dope for a comic book movie like there are things that are done outside of the action sequences that are just very very impressive they brought to life wakanda in a way that people Mm -hmm. really wanted to go there and then i wanted black panther in my top five because i truly do believe it hit a cultural touchstone that no one not even marvel itself knew was even a possibility i mean right it was the domestic box office king of 2018 and this is at a point in a year with Infinity War. Th- think about that. In a year that Infinity yeah. War came out, the the penultimate of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in regards to expectation, you have this Black Panther film that comes out four months prior, ends up being in theaters till damn near July, 
And, you know, for, you know, the uh, black and brown, you know, subcultures of America, they found a superhero movie that one, they found a character that was relatable. They found a villain that was relatable. And I think all the best villains see themselves as heroes and they actually have some point to make. Just their execution is wrong. And I think we knew that. But I mean, it was just really important to have that film. And one, it was the first comic book movie to be, yes, first comic book movie to be uh, nominated for a Best Picture Oscar at the Academy Awards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that had to be on my top five. So that's number five, Black Panther. Yeah, I'm really glad you put this on here because it (laughs) is in my honorable mentions. And I hated not including it. Because basically all the reasons you said, but the main one being that this is going to be a movie that we look back on in 20, 30 years and be like, this was one of the defining films of the 2010s. And the the you know the ending third, the third act of this film doesn't work for me as well. Yeah. I, I'm on that train that says that the rhino's kind of ridiculous and some of the CGI is a little wonky, but I absolutely love that they just basically gave Kugler you know, car blanche and just let him do his thing. Yeah. And there is some amazing stuff in this film. Like you said, the Shakespearean aspect of it, which is reflected in the score, which is like this wild mix of Shakespearean music with classic superhero music with, um, African synth. And yeah. And, uh, what's his name? <laughs> I can't get uh, Kendrick Lamar. Oh my like, God. Yeah. Just the weekend. That the yeah. whole, yeah, the whole film is just amazing. It's got a car chase in it that doesn't suck. Oh my gosh. Which, like, how do you do that <laughs> anymore? I don't know. Most car chases suck now, but yeah. this one was great. Um, so I'm really, really glad you put that on there. What do you think about Michael B. Jordan coming back? Because there has been rumors about that. I don't know how likely that is. I am a huge Michael B. Jordan fan. Mm-hmm. And I want him to be back so badly. But of course, the way he goes out and the message behind it, I don't want that to be undercut. I'm just, I'm so conflicted. You took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, it was such a strong performance and the character was written really well. Um, I think Michael B. Jordan is a very, very talented young actor. And um, what he gave him, when one, I'm a big anime fan and the fact that he modeled his killmonger off of one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. anime characters of vegeta from dragon ball z and um it was just super duper cool and yeah you don't want him to come back to undercut it but we also know that like in the world of comics no character is truly dead so it'll be except interesting uncle except uncle ben it, but that's like that <laughs> that's like one of those things like uncle ben you know uh, uh the, the wayne family you know with the wayne family and stuff like that like their deaths are what you know really spur our protagonist and right. this death, while it could undercut just like the thematic resonance of Black Panther, I still ultimately believe that, yeah, there may be a little bit more story to tell. Um, who knows? There could always be some type of like robo, you know, killmonger or something like that. I mean, <laughs> you just you just never know. And you'll you'll get over it quick enough. So I don't have a problem with it. I guess we'll see in what, 2021? Is that right? 21? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Not soon enough in yeah. my opinion. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Michael B. Jordan, my number five is uh, a little smaller film, Chronicle from 2012. Wow, that that's going back deep. I like it. Yeah. So I do have to say for people who haven't seen Chronicle, um, it may be one of the more lesser known films. This is a found footage film about three high schoolers who basically they get superpowers. They like find a mysterious rock on, in an underground cave and they just 
have superpowers and it's kind of the story of what they would do. I think this is the best version in my opinion, of what if superheroes were real. It's the one that feels the most believable. But before I get into it just a little bit, I do have to say, unfortunately, this is written by Max Landis, <laughs> who is just a huge piece of shit. Talented piece of shit, though. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's also directed by Josh Trank, who is kind of <laughs> a lesser, smaller piece of shit. But um, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> not not the best creative team behind it. But what they did here, I thought was really great because um, it's incredibly endearing when it starts and it slowly and smartly gets dark over time. It deals with the ideas of insecurity and abuse and what that turns into when somebody is given power. It's also, in my opinion, the only good found footage film. They do a pretty good job at justifying why there's a camera, why it's on, and how they get the shots that they get. I was pretty impressed that I was never annoyed that, oh, it doesn't make sense that they would have that footage or anything like that. And then because of that found footage element, I think the action is incredibly inventive and very clever. And the film is just a lot of fun. For the large portion of the runtime, it's just three high school friends hanging out and doing crazy shit that they would do if you had the ability to suddenly, you know, move things with your mind or fly. And so um, the main characters are Dane DeHaan. Alex Russell, and then, of course, Michael B. Jordan, who is just charming as hell in this. I'll go on record as saying I love every Michael B. Jordan performance, even if I don't like the movie. But I just think this film, it does an amazing job at just showing the friendship of these kids and then really crushing you when kind of shit hits the fan. And then I also think that Chronicle does an amazing job at being consistent with its universe logic. You know, the rules of the powers are established early and they're followed throughout the entire film. And I really like that their powers are logically used as like a muscle. So they get better the more they use them. And it's just a really excellent example of tight storytelling. Whoa. I did not expect this to be on the list. Not that it doesn't deserve to be in the top five. <laughs> it's just I'm kind of there's so many that have come out in the past 10 years. I almost forgot about it. Mm -hmm. But this was I, I was. Yeah, I think I was like a. About to be, well, I was way done with college by this point. Um, but it's just one of those really <laughs> cool films that just, it stuck with me because these are the type of, I have a very, oh, I mean, as a storyteller, I have an overactive imagination. Um, I've got no shame in admitting that I played with action figures up until like I had my daughter, right? That's when I didn't have any more time to play with toys. And I love building these type of worlds and I've always imagine what I would do in high school with superpowers. And I think this film was very honest to that. What does adolescence do when you have all this power and you have no way, you have nobody that's telling you to be responsible with it, right? right. Um, there's no mentor in this film, which I think was really, really cool. They're really left to their own devices, which I think is why we get, in my opinion, one of the stronger super villain stories to come about. That was mm -hmm. very, very organic and was not the central focus of the film, but really ended up being the paramount, you know, chain of events that happen that leads to the climax. I mean, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you got Dame DeHine who comes onto the scene and unfortunately is forever going to be pegged as a bad guy. He will never, oh, yeah. ever, 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 as much as they try their hardest to make him like a leading man, good guy. 
I'm really, really sorry about Valerian. I like, I like, I thought Valerian was a lot of fun, <laughs> but you cannot make Dane Don a good guy, and he is like the best alternate version of of Anakin Skywalker. It's crazy how much he reminds me. Of yeah, Anakin wow, Christensen. yeah, you're right. It's really, yeah. really weird, and that film was just fun. And I mean, that third act, just action sequences were really, really cool. And for the budget, I thought it was really, like mm-hmm. you said, inventive, very creative. Yeah. So I would definitely check out Chronicle. That's my number five. And it's the only one that I could on this list that I could even remotely consider a quote unquote independent superhero film. So from here on out, it's mainstream billion dollar films. Um, All right, Colby, what's your number four? Speaking of which, a mainstream billion dollar film that I think nobody thought was going to be a billion dollars was Patty Jenkins and DC and WB's Wonder Woman. Which, All right, awesome. We just got a fantastic sequel trailer uh, yesterday. I did. I did not watch it. I'm oh going in God. blind. Okay, so you're gonna go in blind. Best of That's luck to goal. you, man. It. Well, I'll tell we'll you see. this. <laughs> it's so tough. It's great, and I think um, Wonder Woman. I don't want to say the film came out of nowhere. I think Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman came out of nowhere because there was nobody that wanted her. That we all had this vision of a very busty, curvy anatomically incorrect (laughs) Wonder Woman (laughs) that is just supposed to be flopping around and picking up stuff and punching guys out. And Patty Jenkins delivers a script in hand with Zack Snyder and creates a Wonder Woman that honestly, I think a lot of folks didn't really even know would feel as good. It was so genuine. And the way that Gal Gadot performs Wonder Woman inside the film, it just made sense. Like, I guess... I've always thought of Wonder Woman as being so American, even though we know that a part of her mythos, she's from the Amazon. And then mm-hmm. having this, this kind of what's the word I want to look, uh, I want to use, um, having Gal, her Israeli descent, to kind of impress upon you know Diana Prince's character was really really unique. It made her seem very un-American, but ultimately what she stands for is all the ideals that we would hope to live up to. You know, and I think it's cool how they blended the mythos of Wonder Woman inside of this, you know, this origin story and set the entire film, you know, in 1917 and then end up having a Steve Trevor that wasn't a trope. Like they had amazing chemistry and I thought the story was great. And I I will say that there may be a theme where some of these comic book movies have a tough time handling the third act. Which seems yeah. a little peculiar, but it, it, I don't know. It, it just it, I haven't I haven't figured it out myself. Um, but ultimately, I rated this film a very high nine out of ten for the year that it came out. Um, and forgive me, I think it was twenty fifteen. Think so. Twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen. Ah. It was one of those. Is it uh, you know twenty seventeen? Oh my god, was that was was it that soon? Shoot. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it, it was that. But when it when it came out, it came out over the course of the 2017. summer. Twenty seventeen. It was twenty seventeen. Yeah. Great. Um, but it was just so much fun and just the, the naivete that Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman had. It was so innocent and authentic and the chemistry between her and Steve Trevor. And yeah, the villain wasn't that great inside the film, but ultimately it was just the everything else that was set around it that was so fantastic. The action was great. If it's the one thing that translated really, really good from Batman v Superman was Zack Snyder's interpretation of Wonder Woman that mm-hmm. Patty Jenkins took the baton. 
and ran with it and then really accentuated and gave us a really full-fledged character. Um, and I thought that the film was amazing. The music was great. I mean, come on, that theme song, um, oh, that was just really, really, really good. Uh, but yeah. I'm excited for the sequel. And yeah, that's my number four, Wonder Woman. Awesome. I think my uh, favorite part about Wonder Woman, which isn't a film that's on my list, but it's definitely deserving of a spot, I think, when we're talking about, in general, the 2010s. as It's another just kind of iconic film that we'll remember for years and years and years. My favorite part about the film is that Patty Jenkins does the smart thing and makes uh, Diana powerful, but not at the expense of the other, you know, more traditional male characters you know so she's not she's not powerful because these guys are dumb these guys are great steve trevor is a smart and capable man but he is still the damsel in distress and it just really Mm -hmm. in my opinion makes diana that much stronger and that much more of an impressive and powerful character that she's just on her own doesn't have to be compared to anyone or anything she's just a great character so i approve of that one yeah and then also i almost forgot yeah it's the first superhero movie with a lead yeah with the with the female as the lead in the film yeah well except like what Catwoman, but we don't talk about that we we don't speak of such things (laughs) 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 all right so that is uh colby's number four my number four is x-men first class Ah, 2011 yeah new species is being born. Help me guide it. Shape it. Lead it. Time for the tour. You have no idea what I'd give to feel normal. You want society to accept you. You can't even accept yourself. Should we have to hide? Tomorrow, mankind will know that mutants exist. They'll fear us. And that fear will turn to hatred. Not if we stop a war. Not if we risk our lives doing so. We have it in us to be the better man. We already are. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. They're just kids. No, they were kids. You ready for this? Let's find out. The cost of freedom is always high. Okay, so why is this one on here? I love this movie. This is the origin story of the X-Men that after Last Stand, they decided, you know, we fucked up or we did something (laughs) wrong. So we're going to do a soft reboot. We're going to tell the origin story of the X-Men. It's going to take place in the 1960s. And we're going to have Charles Xavier and Eric Lencher before they were Professor X and Magneto. And they're going to be played by freaking Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, because why not? And 
this movie, um, I don't know if I already said it, directed by Matthew Vaughn, it is just slick as all hell. Definitely my favorite X-Men movie because it embraces the cartoony aspects of X-Men so that it allows for some really fun action set pieces. And what I think is really cool about the X-Men is the creative use of their mutant powers. So mm-hmm. you don't have the the guy who's just really strong and, you know, the Flash or like Quicksilver or whatever, you know, there's a lot of these mutant powers that are kind of more unique and bottom of the barrel-y than, that you don't see in a lot of these other superhero films. And I think the action set pieces that they're able to execute with them is fantastic. There is a um, demon-looking guy who can teleport, presumably Nightcrawler's father. Yeah, Azazel. And he, when they infiltrate the CIA, he just does this amazing thing where he teleports, grabs a guy, teleports them up into the sky and drops them. Mm. And they just die like that. And that is just such a clever use of that power. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Like, that's such a smart use for that power if you were a villain. So there's a whole bunch of these little moments that just make this film really clever that I don't think are in the other X-Men films as much. I think Matthew Vaughn does a great job at bringing a kinetic sense of action to the franchise that another person that we, you know, has problematic past behind him, Brian Singer, was just as bad at. He like he just wasn't good at having that kinetic action. Mm-hmm. So I, I really love X-Men First Class. How do you feel about this one? Yo, I'm so happy. I'm really, really proud of your list so far. Because X-Men First <laughs> Class, I think when it first came out, a lot of people didn't know what to make of it. Because it, mm-hmm. it, it was a tonal difference from the Silver Age of the X-Men, right? And it felt, mm-hmm. there was, I don't want to say there felt a finality to it, but like, you know, we had a, the first trilogy, you know, with, you know, um, Ian McKellen and, you know, with uh, Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman. And then they tried <laughs> the <laughs> X-Men Origins kind of spinoff franchise and that didn't go anywhere. So a lot of people didn't know what to do. I'm, I really dig Matthew Vaughn. I love his flair. And yeah. this world, I mean, because it's the first that really tries to go back, I'm not going to give it any shit for, you know, the continuity issues, <laughs> Yep, <laughs> you know, but it did it really great. And I mean, the X-Men animated series, yo, like that's what a top five animated series for me. So mm-hmm. I remember, you know, hearing about the Hellfire Club and like, bro, we've, <laughs> we've got so many people. It's, we got Kevin freaking Bacon with some of the coolest powers that we've ever got a, a chance to see. excellent villain. A yeah. really, really good villain. He was subdued, but he was cool. I mean, you know, the scene where he takes out, um, oh my gosh, who was the, uh, the, the, the black mutant who can like absorb, uh, all energy oh, and stuff uh, like that. Darwin. Darwin. Oh, such a cool power set. I really love power yeah. sets. And I feel like that's the one thing where, the technology really limited the capabilities of what the the first trilogy could do, where this really Absolutely. showed where it can really, really go. Um, you know, I'm not in love uh, with Homeboy that plays Beast. I don't know why I'm forgetting his name. Um, Nicholas Holt. <laughs> yeah, Nicholas Holt. They really try to make this guy like a leading man. It just doesn't work. But he was good. And then you've got Jennifer Lawrence, who kind of got in a little bit early in the superhero game, because this is the first where she was like fully, fully really committed to the role. Yes. Um, yeah. But you've got James McAvoy and you've got Michael Fassbender. The scene of him hunting Nazis. Like I, I, I forget what podcast I was on and they wanted to like some of my best, you know, just like, you know, cool use of like superpowers. And it's just, he goes to South America to find these Nazis and it is, it, the, it's, the scene is scored really well. It's written well and it's performed fantastically well. And yeah, the, Great, great pick. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a couple other things that I want to point out about this. You, you said uh, it scored well. Just the whole movie is scored well. Mm-hmm. Henry Jackman, fantastic 
score here. I listen to this when I want to get pumped up while I'm working. Mm-hmm. I am a straight up sucker for training montages. Oh. And this one has a sick training montage. I am also a straight up sucker for recruitment montages. Yes! And this one has a sick recruitment montage uh, with, of course, the one fuck per PG-13 oh. movie allowed, which is perfect. I think this is the best one of the uh, of first class phrase. trilogy. I, I, yeah, the, absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. And then, like like you said, Magneto is kind of the, the central conflict in this story. And I really like that it doesn't hold back with some of the more violent aspects of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film is really about revenge and choosing between hate and love. And Magneto chooses hate and revenge. But I think the film does a good job at showing why and not necessarily justifying it, but at least it makes me go, okay, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would do that, but I do understand why he's doing that. Mm -hmm. And I do sympathize with him in a way that I didn't necessarily sympathize with him in the original X-Men. Yeah. You know, yeah. What else can we say? I mean, it's it's a stacked (laughs) cast, like like I said. Um, So good. I, I can't believe that the X-Men movies continuously get these fantastic actors, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's a money thing. Who knows? Man, imagine if Matthew Vaughn would have ended up doing um, Days of Future Past. The f- yeah. Oh, my oh. gosh. Woo! Or, or Apocalypse. Oh. I mean, I will say I really like that this one is much smaller than both oh, yeah. of those two films. Yeah. And I think that that's what the X-Men films can be and should be in the MCU is that they can tell these more personal stories because there's so many of them. Not everything has to be about world destroying, and, and it's tough, especially when you get as big as Apocalypse right. or you know time kind of a collapsing and stuff like that. But when they concentrate on a much smaller event, um, I think I think there's a lot more fun to be had, and I think it inspires a lot more from the writers to really like really go for it. Right? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that is my number four, and I think it can encapsulate the whole X Men saga, which is like. Over, um, you know, it went out with a whimper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't believe nobody talks about a film that you know, a film franchise that's 19 years old and mm-hmm. just ended this year. Like that was tough. But I mean, you know, so I think this is just the best that they had out of yeah. all of those films. You know, sans some of maybe the the standalone ones. So that is my number four. Yeah, cool. Colby, what is your number three film? Speaking of the standalone one um, and a smaller film. I- I, it's got to be Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. All right. <laughs> um, I really like, we have not had any overlap yet, yeah. but I'm in love with the the like total collection that we have so far. Yeah. No, I think it's just like you, I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head. I think what made Deadpool successful was how small and contained this story was. And Ryan Reynolds was very connected to this character and did something that was very guerrilla in regards to trying to get the film out there. He leaks test footage that was for the time that it came out, you know, it wasn't great. Like, I mean, in regards to like mm-hmm. effects wise, it wasn't great, but it really didn't have to, because I think that Deadpool is probably out of all the comic book films, not just of the decade, but ever is one of the greatest translations from comic to screen. And now when people think of Deadpool, they can't not think of this Deadpool. And yeah. I, I think even Marvel's aware of it and they've started to make the stories around this interpretation from Ryan Reynolds. His mm-hmm. comedic impression onto this character, it just feels like he was born to play Wade Wilson. And 
you know, obviously he had <laughs> he took a shot at it before, <laughs> which is it's crazy to think that he you know he played this character inside of another X Men spinoff. And how bad that turned out. Like, he did some real badass things in there. But until they sewed his mouth shut and turned him into, like, some super mutant, um, you're just yeah. like, wow, what? Oh, oh, you remember, like, the 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 cutaway? Uh, I guess it was, like, a, a cut scene at the end where his head rolls back in and his eyes open up and the mouth. Yeah. Oh, oh so, so bad. So, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But yeah, then it's not a good movie. It's totally <laughs> redeemed in this small story, this small budget $50 million, and this is just, it's the first, you know, X-Men film that we got that was R-rated, and boy, does it go for it, and it is written well, it is performed well, the action is amazing, it's the best on-screen Colossus that we've ever had, and, mm-hmm. you know, because of the budget being so small, the creators had to do exactly that, they had to get creative, and they tell the entire film from essentially like 75% of the film is from one major action sequence (laughs) that they just find a clever way to keep bringing the film back around. And it was just so smart and it was very meta and, and maybe, you know, because of, you know, what Wade Wilson is in regards to the comic that breaking the fourth wall, this film is able to do some things that maybe other stories couldn't, but that's what makes it so special. And, um, it's just, it's an absolutely like balls out funny movie. Like I watch it at least twice a year ever since it's come out and I never get tired of the jokes. I love the action. I just love the characters and it's the first X-Men film that gets super duper X-Men-y. Like you have a character who we call Negasonic Teenage Warhead. And like they're referring to that. Usually (laughs) these films try to get so grounded. They try to take out of some of the really kind of wonky, you know, lingo and and code names from like the 60s and 70s and 80s. But this just completely embraces it. And it's just fun. And God, I love this movie. Yeah. So number three is Deadpool. Deadpool is on my honorable mentions. (sighs) Everything you said, I completely agree with. It is just a perfect R-rated film. I love that they just took a chance with it, or not even a chance. I mean, the fact that it took them so long to do this is a mm-hmm. little mind-boggling. But yeah, I mean, they just let Ryan Reynolds do his thing. They got a great director with Tim Miller, and they, yeah, fantastic film. I so so funny. <laughs> so funny. I am a sucker for breaking the fourth wall stuff and yeah. meta references and everything like that and the the part where i mean i was just thinking about this when we were talking about first class when deadpool's like you know colossus is taking him to the professor and Mm -hmm. deadpool's like which one xavier or mcavoy or mcavoy or charles whatever stewart yeah (laughs) um just oh man very good film so So that is a great number three yes yes so my number three is we are definitely getting into the um, pretty pretty cliche, I would say. My number three is Guardians of the Galaxy from oh, 2014. Not on my list. Not on your list. <laughs> it was wow. so tough. It, it, was, oh man, it, was, it was tough to leave that out. Yeah. So Guardians of the Galaxy directed by James Gunn. Five criminals, you know, they come together, stop a villain from destroying the galaxy. This is, I don't know what, like the 10th maybe MCU film. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this film is still one of the best made MCU films. I agree. It has a stellar soundtrack. Each character has its their specific moment to shine. And I felt like James Gunn just knew exactly what he wanted to do with the story. And he just did it. Uh, very similar to how 
Ryan Coogler was able to just do what he wanted to do. I think because this film is a little earlier in the, you know, chronology and because it's set off in space, it's not burdened by some of the other MCU baggage. Not that films are quote unquote burdened by it, but it is nice that it kind of just gets to do whatever it wants to do. And I think what it does is it is hilarious. It is surprisingly touching. And I think that it is not said enough, and maybe it is in some circles, but it is not said enough how impressive it is that Gunn is able to make you care about a tree and a raccoon. I mean, at the time it was silly. It still is silly, but like, you know, just being able to do that from a character perspective and a writing perspective is really impressive to me that you're able to just kind of tune all that out. This film, I think the expectations deservedly so were low because this Mm -hmm. is from not even a C or D list roster. Like I remember seeing this comic and I'm just like, what? Like, huh? (laughs) And you already had your main storyline with the Avengers. I mean, keep in mind, you know, 2012 is the Avengers. Like that was at the time, in my opinion, one of the greatest superhero movies ever made because we've never seen this collection of not only on-screen talent, but just these collection of heroes. And I mean, even in regards to like all of the Marvel catalog, the Avengers are not like a prominent, like, it's not like the first heroes you speak, you think of Spider-Man, you think of X-Men, you don't think of like, oh yeah, then those other guys, the Avengers, right? Because Captain right, America, yeah. how do you make that work? Iron Man was super cool in the video games. Like I love playing the arcade version of Iron Man. But then you've got, <laughs> <laughs> you've got Star-Lord. I'm like, oh, he's like a knockoff of like some other characters. Then you got Gamora, like a knockoff of other characters. So you have this this group of collecting knockoff of other characters. But James Gunn gets characters. He gets comedy. Mm-hmm. And somehow, Kevin Feige and Marvel just let him go. And he played within the sandbox so well. This is one of the st- most strong directed films inside the entire MCU. And doesn't yeah. feel hum- hamstrung by a lot of the other connected elements which I think was perfect to make this story work, except we ended up getting the first, honestly, real introduction into, you know, the biggest villain in the entire saga of Thanos. You got Josh Brolin. I, I don't even know if you call it a cameo. It was a pretty beefy, you know, you know, role that he had on there. And it's the first time we got to be able to see him inside of his suited armor, sitting in his chair, you know? <laughs> and then you got Ronan, who's a really imposing figure. My only knock against this film is that in regards to like the action, there wasn't a lot of like action that kind of appeals to me. Like I love good hand-to-hand action. And I think that when this film came out, I want to say several months earlier, we had Winter Soldier come out. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, I'll never forget that highway fight scene between Cap and the Winter Soldier. I'm just like, okay, if every Marvel movie can have that, give it to me. And Gardens of the Galaxy gave me the space. It gave me the big action, but just minus like the actual hand-to-hand fight choreography. And I understand that with a lot of these, you know, uh, these characters, it wasn't essential. But man, is it funny. And it's such a tender and sweet story that's real, that's well-written. And it looks fantastic. It has great visual effects. And it's just, it's all around really, really good. And it feels good at the end too. Yeah, I think that this film represents the MCU just at its most creative. And <laughs> This is one of the first times that I think that the MCU stretches the limits on what a superhero can be, or not, sorry, a superhero film can be as a genre. Mm -hmm. To me, there's nothing really different between this and something like Star Wars, other than the fact that this is much more of a comedy Mm -hmm. than something like Star Wars. So the fact that we can have this, this space romp 
and come out at the same year as a spy thriller like Captain America Winter Soldier, those are both superhero films. I think that's the first year that it kind of opened the Mm -hmm. door to be like, hey, this can this genre can be anything. And it inspired a lot. Like you think about if this film did not come out and do what it did and was made how it was made, I don't think we get Black Panther. I don't think we we definitely right. don't get Thor Ragnarok. Like you could just see no. so much of the imprint of like what Guardians of the Galaxy was and how it shaped a lot of the comic book movies that came after it. We wouldn't get a Suicide Squad either, though. So. That is very, that is very, very true. Even though I've got a <laughs> Although, very soft spot for Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to lose my mind if you put this on your list, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Fun fact about Guardians of the Galaxy, though, I actually wrote a college paper on this film. Uh, I had a senior seminar class, and the topic for the paper was something like music as a form of cultural disruption. Mm. So. I mean, I didn't know anything about music or any history on music. So I was like, okay, I'll choose the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack as an example of how James Gunn is using the soundtrack to disrupt what our expectations from a superhero film is and specifically a superhero soundtrack. And I thought it was interesting or the argument I made was that he used an older soundtrack to fill up a film that has you know, these bizarre and unorthodox characters so that an older audience had something to grasp onto. And it was kind of a merging of the old and the young. And I think that that maybe that's why this film has like an extra special soft spot on my uh, in my head or whatever. But I really like what James Gunn is doing here. And the soundtrack is just definitely something that I listen to consistently. Mm-hmm. And I am one of those I don't know, bad music listeners, I guess, that I hadn't heard most of these songs before this film. So thank you, James Gunn, for making this film and introducing me to some older songs. So, Colby, what is your number two film of the decade? My number two film is also one that is very recent, and it was my number one B from 2018, the Academy Award winning dynamic Lord and Miller written and directed Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Okay, awesome. So I did not cl- include it on my list because I mentioned it in the top animated films that just, we did. Just listen to that podcast. Good choice. <laughs> Thank you. But absolutely 100% agree. So, so let's get into it. Yes. Um, I've been a cartoon lover forever. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that I know that didn't grow up on cartoons. And I had the X-Men animated series and had Spider-Man, the animated series. And you know, I had the comics and Spider-Man is probably the most recognizable, um, you know, Marvel heroes out of them all. I mean, you can look at his emblem and you just know, like anybody worldwide could just know that Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I vehemently believe that Into the Spider-Verse will go down as an absolute all-time great. Um, the fact that mm-hmm. it won the Academy Award already kind of shook things up for, one, just how long it took this film to get made. Nobody wanted this film to be made. They didn't want this film to exist. They just thought this was another Sony mistake with a title that it was desperately not trying to lose to Marvel. Um, and the fact that you could take a risk to almost confuse your audience when you have a partnership with Marvel at the time and loaning out Spider-Man to the MCU pretty successfully to say, I, I remember it was like two, two, three years before it came out. It's like, yeah, we're going to make a Spider-Man movie. It's going to be animated. Like, I don't wait. What? Like, what the hell? Wait, <laughs> yeah. huh? Like, so wait, you're gonna make a superhero movie that's animated? When's the last time that's come out? Like, I don't get me wrong. I love the DC animated films, 
but they don't hit theaters. But I love those films. I'm like, this is something that's meant for like home video. Like, what are you doing, Sony? And the first time we got the trailer, literally the Christmas before the film came out, I was blown away. Like one, the animation, we've never seen it. And then it ended up being even better when you actually saw it in theaters. The music, like I still play this soundtrack to this day. It is that great. The collection of talent that produces this soundtrack and the score is phenomenal. And just the story does something that's so unique that I really do believe that it creates a new opportunity for storytellers to not be inhibited by rules. Because Lord and Miller, mm-hmm. Lord and Miller broke all the rules. They said, we're not only going to do a Spider-Man movie, it's not going to be the Spider-Man that we all know. It's going to be of Miles Morales. And also, it's not just going to be Miles Morales' story. It's going to be every Spider-Man story. <laughs> and somehow, this, 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 this device that could get really cheap and really played out real quick ended just working. And we get, I mean, we got a Chris Pine Spider-Man. We got a Jake Johnson <laughs> Spider-Man. We got a Nicolas Cage Spider-Man. Like, in it all inside of this one film, and it's great action. It's got an exceptional voice cast. It is funny and it's beautiful mm-hmm. to look at. And just like I, I really do, I really do believe it changes the entire genre of what superhero films um, can be. Oh, not to mention, we got an Oscar Isaac Spider Man at the end of the movie. Like, <laughs> I'm oh, yeah. so excited about where this film can go. And because the audience was just able to buy in, uh, I, I will say, having to be animated, this film is allowed to do more and have less restrictions than what an, a, a live action film can do. But I feel storytelling wise, I feel like this can really change the game. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is just, I've never got a chance to really see myself as Peter Parker. And I am a lot older than when they introduced Miles Morales. Miles Morales is my Spider-Man. That's awesome. I Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or the uh, the Spider-Verse comic was like the first full, one of the first full comic runs that I ever read. And I love that story. I think it's so weird and amazingly like ambitious and just it's dealing with some really fun and crazy things and i thought that this was a beautiful way to take that concept and make it into a film i yeah i I love this film i think this will be a film that people will consider a masterpiece i think your list is fantastic at really hitting all the like the major points i I have a sneaking suspicion I know what your number one is going to be um, based on that. So, oh man, I I hated not including this, and it definitely would be on my list if I hadn't talked about it in the animated films. That's fair. Yeah, this is just such a great film. I, I don't know. There's there's nothing else I can say about this that people haven't said already. Like, definitely, I I know that like anybody who's listening to like a best superheroes of the 2010s film. They've seen this film already, but in case you haven't, go see it. Like it, this is just such an important film. So I, rewatchable I too. Know. I think it's amazing that Sony knocks this one out of the park because it seems like nobody gave a shit about it, right? And it seems like they almost didn't try. <laughs> so now I'm really interested to see how good the second one will be. Yeah. I know Phil Lord and Chris Miller are not as involved as they are as they were in this one. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really, really interesting to see. If they can, you know, capture lightning twice, we'll see. All right. That was your number two film, Colby. My number two is a film that we just briefly talked about a little bit. It's Captain America, The Winter Soldier from 2014. Way to go, bro. 
the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. He's a ghost. You'll never find him. Shield to protect people. Captain, to build a better world sometimes means tearing the old one down. And that makes enemies. start we just did so uh i love this film this one is directed by anthony and joe russo this was i mean it's not the directorial debut for them but it is the mcu directorial debut and then they go on to make civil war infinity war and endgame these this film is just it's it's fantastic it is the first mcu film where i thought okay anything can happen here there are no rules i think you know this film it has a great relationship between cap and sam between cap and natasha between cap and bucky um there's really good comedy without sacrificing drama or tension in a way that a lot of mcu films tend to do i think that is a very fair critical assessment of that but what i really love about this film is that captain america just kicks ass just completely kicks ass and it made him this film made him go from my least favorite avenger by far to my absolute favorite and I think the Russos just really understand Captain America. They understand what makes him tick. They understand that he is just, you know, he is committed to being a good person and always doing the right thing, but also staying true to his friends and being loyal. And ah, this film, just great. And then, like you mentioned, with hand-to-hand fighting, I am a sucker for that. And the fight choreography in mm. this is incredible. You got the boat scene, you got the elevator scene, and then, of course, the one that you mentioned, the knife fight in the street. That is just, like, goosebumps. I mean, I'm sure it's not as good as, like, I have made it in my head, but when you see it that first time, you're just like, wow, how is this an MCU film? How is this Captain America? They're, oh, man, love this film. Yeah, it's a, it's the first time that you felt some peril for the protagonist. Um, we always seem that... You know, with the Marvel films, they get formulaic and you feel like, they, all right, no matter what, the protagonist is going to have the upper hand. And for a little bit, it's going to look like that they're going to maybe lose, but you know, somehow they're going to like pull it out. And this film just kept raising up the stakes because you really didn't know. And I think we were still early enough in phase two of uh, of this now, now we know it as as the Infinity Saga, that we didn't know where things were going at all. And you know, I think we liked, you know, first Avenger. I think, I think we, we liked it. You know, um, I think it was still, yeah. it was still very much, cl- it was so early phase one. Like we, we liked it. It just, it was kind of missing the cool factor that maybe yeah, Iron it was, Man it had. It was very like limited or restrained. Yeah. Almost. It felt, like, it felt almost like a Silver Age comic book movie, you know, that we were still kind of stuck in there. But then 
the Russos just found a way to connect and and making this a spy thriller. I think one of the first, you know, MCU films to really embrace kind of like the the genre, you know, switch up or like really kind of stick to a particular tone. And, you know, even though the if, if the story was bigger, because then we started to really deal with this internal threat of Hydra Spoilers. Like, <laughs> spoilers <laughs> operating with inside of shield and i was a big agents of shield fan and yeah. it, it, you know it, it was kind of close to lining good, up man it really really did <laughs> you know i mean god bless them they definitely tried um yeah but you're right bro the action is just so great the storytelling is great and i think chris evans really came into his own and he was like now fully captain america captain america felt cool and his suit looked cool we got away from the you know from the bright blue to this navy and it just looked badass he looked like a like a black ops you know captain american i think that was such a really good you know kind of redesign to make it fit for a more grounded story and um i mean the winter soldier at that time he was my favorite villain like i just because he, he just looked like he was this unstoppable force and he was matching captain america in every way and the, when he catches the oh uh, my when he catches, when he catches the, shield the shield at the top of the oh, rooftop man. you're just like <laughs> he, oh shit he, he throws <laughs> it back at him and sends steve like back a few feet like it was yeah damn good i mean and then you got black widow inside of it she was sexy and you still had a super cool nick fury um i, I, I mean come on the, the the car chase scene where he finds a way to get out of there with this little thing like bro that <laughs> That movie is so rewatchable. It's so good. Still a top five MCU movie for me. Yes, definitely. So yeah, I, I love this. And like you said, the the Hydra reveal is top five MCU moments for me. It's just like, what? How? No, you know? I don't. I don't care. We did not see that coming. I don't. We no. I don't know. No. It, that is the first moment I think that the MCU takes advantage of being the MCU, other than mm-hmm. Avengers, of course. Yeah. Just being able to kind of weave in those underlying things and then reaped a benefit of that in this film i this film is great and then i also really really like anthony mackie in it yeah falcon is like my b-list avenger that i love the most Mm -hmm. i think i really like his wings and the way he he fights and Mm -hmm. everything like that so i i really hope that they do some really cool stuff with him in the uh, disney plus series yeah we got a little less than a year to go i'm I'm excited for it (laughs) so Captain America the Winter Soldier was my number two. That leaves us with our number one. This is our last chance to have overlap, and I don't know if we're going to do it. So, Colby, what is your number one film? Avengers Endgame. All right. It is also my number one. (laughs) This is perfect. All right. We did it. We We did did it. it. That is perfect. On your left.
So for a very, very long time, this was my number one movie of the year. And then the second half of 2019 is just, 2019 has been a good year for filmmaking and it's delivered some beasts, but it doesn't take away from how important Avengers Endgame is. And, you know, inside the top five, it could, for a lot of people, just be multiple MCU films. Um, I have two mm -hmm. in there, but I think for different reasons, they represent something different. And I was tempted to put another one, but I feel like what Avengers Endgame ultimately you know, means the most is that it represents the entirety of the saga. So it's a bit yeah. of a cheat code, but I think that's fine because this was something that if we would have asked ourselves 20 years ago was a possibility, we would have said no. Keep in mind, we just had 19 years of an X-Men franchise that spanned between, what, 10 or 12 movies, right? Yeah, yeah something, you know, like something, something like that. We're talking 23 films of this massive story arc that is completely interconnected and it's not perfect. There's minor warts and stuff like that, but for the most part, it's damn good. And I think mm -hmm. the progression of the Avengers films from Avengers in 2012 to Avengers Age of Ultron to Infinity War that left us with <laughs> a cliffhanger, you know, of a climax. <laughs> I mean, like we're like, wait, what? <laughs> You're going to leave us like this? And then for the follow-up a year later to give us Endgame, this three-hour epic that, you know, at the time I said, like, how can a film be the best in a franchise and also the best in each of the individual mini-franchises? It's mm -hmm. the best Avengers movie. It's the best Iron Man movie. It's the best Captain America movie. It's the best Thor movie because this film found a way to focus on the Avengers itself and ended up being the exclamation point to all those stories. I mean, we just got finished talking about your number two film, you know, in uh, um, in Captain America: Winter Soldier. This ended up elevating that because it was able to add a little bit more to it. I mean, we were able to finally get this opportunity to give Captain America his true happy ending. Mm -hmm. You know, Tony, oh man, I don't want to cry. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we were able to spend time with a man that has always been burdened by trying to have a suit of armor around the world. And ultimately, he, I don't say he was right, but because he couldn't see his vision fully realized, they lost. Think about, this is the first film that we focus on where the first act of the film, where we've never seen a film where our losers, like, I mean, our losers, <laughs> where, where, where <laughs> our heroes have suffered a defeat. And we thought like it was gonna be like something that was gonna wipe away real quick. No, we had, they had to live in this world for five years. Yeah, when it goes five and then it pauses for a second and then goes years later, I remember everybody in my theater was like, no way. It's like, just Holy like, shit. no, we, th we thought like, oh, we killed Thanos somehow it was going to reverse. No, 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 no. They had to sit in that. And mm -hmm. that is just so hard to believe. Like you kill the bad guy, but it was just too late. And it, it I mean, just... I mean, we talk about the elements. The cinematography is impeccable. I think the color design is fantastic. The score from Alva Sebastian is out of this world. I mean, in the Literally. story, it's it, yes. And the story <laughs> is so hard. Like, I, I really hope that this gets play for best adapted screenplay at the Academy Awards because I truly believe that to what these filmmakers had to do to make this story work. And especially you were introducing one of the hardest plot devices ever to pull off in time travel. And it works. And it works. You know, yeah. and the thing is that some people want to make it not work because the whole, you know, discussion is time a circle or is it a straight line? It, 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 it's 
whatever you want it to be, you know? Mm-hmm. But then, then you got a funny like, wait, Back to the Future 2 is bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It is so funny and so tender. <laughs> and there's just so many great moments. And I've watched the film seven times. <laughs> seven. Seven wow. times I've watched the film. And I can just always, you know, take away something else that I just absolutely love. It's a knockout and I think does deserve to be the number one comic book movie of the decade. I completely agree. I also, like you, used this kind of as a uh, achievement position for the MCU as a whole. You know, I think it's it's really hard to split ties or split hairs between what was more impressive, Avengers Endgame or the original Avengers. Mm-hmm. You know, now Avengers feels almost quaint because there's only six superheroes in it. <laughs> but that was such an amazing accomplishment. But I think that by giving it to Avengers Endgame, you're acknowledging that you know, you can't have Avengers Endgame without the first Avengers. So this is kind of a award. I mean, it's a little self-indulgent for this we go humble back, podcast. We go back to Avengers. Like, that's the one thing that I thought right. was so cool. We found a way to go back to all of these. Like, they played the greatest hits in this film. Like, yep. <laughs> we found a way to... That, that's, that's America's ass. Like, come on. We went back to the Battle of New York. And wow. And we go back to... Guardians of the Galaxy, like so much of your top, like we get to revisit these amazing moments and it's just, it, it, it truly is just a phenomenal feat and I, I, I praise it in so many different ways and I mean that, that ending epic battle scene, I mean the one thing that yeah. we, no matter what, I, I don't think that there has been a moment inside of the decade that has hit me like when I see Thor, Fat Thor, um, on the ground, you know, with his own battle axe, like being pushed into his chest by just this unstoppable monster of Thanos. And we see Thanos get hit from behind by Mjolnir. And for a split second, we're like, oh my gosh, he, like, he, he's, he, he called for a great. And then it comes back. Oh my God. Dude, I just, I just got the goosebumps right now. It comes <laughs> back and Captain America calls for Mjolnir. Oh my gosh. It's, <laughs> Yo, oh my god. Oh like, man. So I love that scene because it is I don't know what the word for it is, maybe fan service it's, it's but no, that's, but it's pure euphoria. And it it is working on like three different levels at the same time because it is calling back to Avengers Age of Ultron yep. when Cap nudges the shield or the, the hammer. hammer. Losing my words. And you know, if you haven't seen the original Thor, it doesn't make sense because mm-hmm. you don't know what Mjolnir is. You know, it's calling to the character of Captain America because you have to understand the character for it to make sense that he even is capable or worthy of holding the hammer. It is so many things. I think that specific example is a beautiful encapsulation of what the MCU can do. And what it has done is taken all these films and given us this like mythos and world that we can now reference from for films and films and films it's it's amazing i i mean i don't want to make this a whole you know <laughs> mcu uh circle jerk or anything but oh man i i just this film could have so easily disappointed it could have been so incoherent and sloppy and i i don't know i just think it's really easy to look back and be like oh of course it made 2.8 billion dollars cinema's dead and this isn't cinema and blah 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 but this was such an achievement, and I don't think you can oversell it. <laughs> yeah, not at all, man. And, and just one one final moment to say on that. Finally, here in Captain America, as all the portals open up and 
we have the full on onslaught that's about to take place and hearing them finally say Avengers assemble like that was just thrilling. That made me tear up. Did you cry at all in this oh, movie? Man, yeah. It, oh, that, that that my eyes were teared up throughout most of the film. Like at every so many all different seven moments. times. Oh yeah, easily. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Whew, man. Yeah, and then it also does the impossible, which is make Thor Dark World relevant. Yeah. So, <laughs> Come on now. A plus for that. Give it. Give it the Academy Award just for that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, honestly, and I mean, I, I was super high on Black Panther when it, when it came out. I didn't think it was going to win, but I, I think it does signal the relevance of these types of stories. And you know, I, I, it's going to really suck for me. And and for, you know, I've been really paying attention to a lot of the different awards bodies. And yeah, Avengers Endgame is not getting the love that I really thought that it could because the thing is, it was a critical success, right? And yeah. it's also the box office king of all time. And with those two things working for it, I don't I just don't get why it wouldn't be recognized as, you know, one of the greatest films of 2019, you know, let alone of the decade. So I'm really hoping, you know, we're maybe like, you know, a month out from when the nominations come through uh, for the Academy Awards. Um, so, yeah, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I would really love it to see it represented at least for a nomination. Yeah, it is. It is weird to be rooting for it as an underdog film because given that it made 2.8 billion dollars but i'm right there with you i just i really want i mean i don't need it to win i don't think it necessarily should win but i do think that it it would be crazy to you know in 2009 or 2008 avatar was a best picture nomination i it'd be crazy if they didn't give this some sort of nod other than visual effects yeah so anyways with that that is the end of our list that was both colby and i's number one film avengers endgame nice. uh before we close out do you have any honorable mentions that kind of just pained you to not put on your list yeah there's definitely a couple um some that you mentioned with guardians of the galaxy um captain america winter soldier I, I i almost like i was trying to make sure i got like all right i got a dc film in there i got a sony film in there but i, I feel really good about those um i i really did want to put logan on there um, but I yeah, felt that I felt like something that Deadpool did, like Deadpool made Logan possible, even though they were kind of produced at the same time, you know. But I, I felt like with the success of Deadpool, they knew that they could really pull off Logan, and it was the best, most you know, actualized version of Wolverine that we were able to get on screen. And he was, you know, and you know, much older, but it was like th- that was the grit that we needed. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, where that Wolverine story goes um, in the hands of the MCU. Man, there were so many different ones to be able to choose from. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I, I think there's a really bright future ahead for comic book movies. Um, I mean, granted, like it sucks that we have like this law right now. We don't have any <laughs> until <Yeah>. Black Widow <laughs> comes out in May of next year. But I mean, it, it's gonna be we're gonna get another onslaught. Um, 2020 is looking full. 2021 is gonna be beefy uh, with comic book oh, yeah. movies. So I'm excited for Matt Reeves' Batman to see. Yes. What is going to happen? So this next decade is going to be really exceptional. Um, and I hope I'm around to see it all. Yeah. My honorable mentions, uh, I think we talked about a couple of them. Logan, like you said, I, I do want to give a little shout out to X-Men Days of Future Past. I yeah. think that that for a time travel movie is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Avengers and Black Panther. I do think that Joker is imperfect, but I really like it. And I think it is a good litmus test to see where the future of superhero films is going Mm -hmm. thor ragnarok excellent like you said spider-man into the spider-verse of course i really really love spider-man homecoming the more i watch it the more i realize that it is just almost a perfect peter parker Mm -hmm. and then um another matthew vaughn one that i thought was really great was kingsman the secret service it was just very entertaining so oh yeah 
All right. This has been our Decade Marathon episode on superhero films from the 2010s. Colby, it's always a treat to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on again. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Hey, man, just uh, plug the Colby Told Me podcast, a solid solo 30 minutes or less pod with your boy, kind of where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure. You could also check me co-hosting on the Minority Support Film Podcast with me and my colorful uh, crew with their perspective. You can follow us at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at Colby Told Me on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. And I've been trying to do this with these last couple of films. What's the film that you're looking forward to most for the rest of the year? Right now, I've really got. I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna be that fanboy. Rise of Skywalker. I really want to see. Everyone has said that. <laughs> how it's gonna pay off? It, it's crazy to think that it's next week. This, yeah, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like we're still like a month away, but it is next week. Somehow, I found a way to get an hour earlier screening at a Dolby theater. There was like oh, a shit. seat that opened up out of nowhere, so I don't have to wait till ten forty-five. Now I just gotta wait till nine forty-five. Um, I'm just gonna keep checking to see if I can get it a little bit closer. But I, I'm I'm excited to see. What JJ can do, um, like I said, I, I didn't think that, you know, last Jedi was horrible, but I, I think it was a departure from what the expectations were. I want to mm-hmm. see how the ship is going to be righted and how they close out this chapter and maybe even set the, you know, some of the stones for what happens in the future. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. That one's going to be so good. I just finished my, not finished my rewatch, but I'm up to episode six. I like banged through all of the original trilogy oh, nice. um, yesterday. I'm about to start mine. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Cutting it close. It's, it's a it's, lot I mean, of Star Wars in one it week. It really, really is. Uh, but like, I, I, it's just been a while since I've seen them. And I've heard a lot of folks that they've been doing it. I'm like, you know what? I really need to rewatch it. I'm a sucker for Attack of the Clones. And I think that that movie is oh. vastly underrated. But like Dude, I said, I, that's the one I skipped. I just yeah, but this is I the was thing, like, I can't but do it. <laughs> there's so much. Like, like, I'm an action guy. And yeah. d- damn it, there's a lot of action in that film. And I will never forget. I think I was, what, middle school or early high school when it came out. Um, and I'll never forget Yoda calling for his lightsaber because nobody thought that that was going to happen. And seeing Yoda take on Count Dooku, I lost my damn mind. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time when we run through the best Best Picture nominees of the decade with one of the mics from the Mike, Mike and Oscar podcast. So I'm very excited to sit down with somebody who is very knowledgeable about the Oscars. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So until then, bye.
Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.